0: Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. (laughs) Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Led yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. (laughs) How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan?
1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Ninth Story Studios. Giving story a voice. Hello, listener. Welcome to the Gaslight Collective. I am the collector. Come along now. Let me show you my collection of audio delights. Yes, go on, pick one. All are sure to tickle your fancy, in one way or another. Ah, that's a good one you've chosen. The Wicked Library. Hmm. With our good friend, The Librarian. Let's begin. We will make you believe. Roses are red, violets are blue. If you can't take horror stories, this podcast is not for you! (laughs) I'm a poet and didn't even know it. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yet. Hold on to yourselves, boys and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time. At the Wicked Library. <laughs>
3: Welcome to episode number 725 of the Wicked Library. Today's episode is all new and featuring a story by a brand new author, Stephanie Ogrodnik. It's called A Priest in Love. And I think you're going to be in love with this story. It's fantastic. Before we get started today, I do want to say a quick thank you to all of our brand new Patreon supporters. We had several new Patreon supporters since our last show on August the 20th. I'd go into some detail on all the cool stuff you get if you support the show on Patreon, but The Librarian already did that at the beginning of the show, so we'll just thank those that did. Jacob Cuthbert, Matthew Douglas, Joanna Wolf, Debbie Wiseman, and Don Canada. You make the show possible, and thank you to all of you who continue to support the show, and of course, also thank you to those who take the time to rate and review the show in iTunes. It's always nice to hear from you folks that you're enjoying the show, that it does something for you, it makes your day a little bit easier, and, of course, I always love to hear the reviews that say, hey, we went out and bought stuff that uh, the authors that were on the show wrote, because that's what it's all about. Support the authors, the artists, the composers, everybody who helps make the show happen. Oh, and I do want to let you know, one of our resident authors has a fantastic blog to celebrate Halloween. And that's Gwendolyn Keist. You've heard her stories here and on The Lift. And she has a fun blog called 60 Days of Halloween. And it's real simple. It's 60, the number is 60, daysofhalloween.com. If you go to the show notes and you click on Goodbye Summer, Hello Autumn, there's a link to her blog. Do check it out. Not only is Gwendolyn a great writer and interviewer, but she has this super fun blog for Halloween. And if you're here, you're obviously a fan of Halloween. Now, we're getting close to the end of season seven. That's right. Almost done. We were actually going to finish out season seven and then just launch right into season eight. But that gets a little bit logistically challenging because there's narration and editing and composing music and creating artwork and all that other fun stuff that goes into making the show. So we are going to run the show through Halloween. You'll get the Halloween episode and we'll keep stories coming for you all the month of October. And then we're going to take a little break. We'll be back for our Christmas episode. And then we'll start fresh in January with a brand new season of amazingly wicked stories for everybody. Of course, if you are a Patreon supporter, you will continue to get episodes during our break. We do a bonus episode every month, and those eventually end up in our anthology episodes. But while we're on break, we're going to keep those coming for you. So if you do support us at $5 a month and above on Patreon, you won't have to go for a couple months without anything wicked to listen to. Okay, now that we have all that out of the way, we'll go ahead and get into today's story. A story about a priest who has fallen in love with a dead girl. A Priest in Love By Stephanie Ogrodnik As Father William Blackwell blessed the sea salt in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost... The nubs where his middle and ring fingers once stood tingled in routine memory. The frigid winter chill burned his sinuses as he inhaled the dank, musty odor of years of old dust. His gifted sense of smell from birth had always been something more of a curse. Still, he reminded himself that he shouldn't mind the stench too terribly. Black mold thrived in the neglected crevices of St. Sebastian's Catholic Church. But the sub-degree weather did temper the lingering scent of the toxic spores. It was unbearable on the warmer nights. And the summers. Don't get him started on the humidity. A hot sun only leads to hot trash. And Lord, did Fishtown get boiling ripe. But not tonight. Tonight... The first snow was floating down to the roof of the sagging church, as Father Blackwell knelt before the abandoned altar, surrounded by his sea salt barrier, a three-foot diameter circle nearly perfected with repetition. In these moments, he felt he should pray, but the words always dissolved in shame and nervous indigestion. Forgive me, Father. For I have sinned, I am in love with a dead girl, and tonight I will touch her." And she would be there soon. The vibrant cascade of sunset through stained glass faded to an oily black that was more thick than empty. Not even the streetlights touched the deep shadows surrounding the church and it was a moonless night, even a starless one. This might earn Father Blackwell a stumbling retreat around the pews, should he require a swift escape. But it would also ensure discretion, which was crucial above all bruised shins and stubbed toes. There was, of course, an added pleasure afforded by the strategic lack of moon and stars. Father Blackwell had always found Nellie, his personal demonic specter, to be more radiant in blackness. Her eyes carried wanton carnage that burned brightest in viscous tar pit black night. And tonight, he would have her primal violence. It could be as gentle as the stroke of her cheek, as running his thumb along her collarbone. This was likely all time could afford before her rage tore through him. But still, he would have it. He would have her. The thought restored a jubilant, shit-eating grin that nearly split his chapped lips. Father Blackwell warmed the tips of his fingers against his belly, allowing the arms of his parka to dangle at his sides. His right hand healed months previous, but the sensations, or absence of sensations, were still alien. Even now, he could say he felt the phantom digits tracing his skin with the others, but they lacked the steady thud, thud, thud vibration that the index, pinky, and thumb were picking up. The numbness fading to pins and needles It brought him back to his first attempt to touch Nellie, to the burst of throbbing pain that announced his failure as the fingers disappeared behind her teeth. The putrid iron scent of his blood had filled and nauseated him. He could nearly smell it now as he perspired lightly under his layers of clothing, though his toes were still numb. A rat squeaked in the dark, Reminding Father Blackwell that he was not quite alone in the void. He chuckled to himself. Maybe a little to the rat as well. And God said, Let there be rats. And it was so. That would have been on the fifth day. It must be tonight, he thought, stealing his resolve. Confined to his sea salt cell until daybreak he felt the familiar pangs of creeping anxiety, telling him there was still time to procrastinate. But renovations on the church would begin in less than a week, and these late-night rendezvous would be too risky to chance. Certainly riskier than now, when even the squatters stayed clear for the most part. It was a shame about the church. It was a doomed place early on, an uninspired design in a rapidly modern city, it felt empty to conservative worshippers and "gaudy to progressive baby boomers. Then, nearly a year ago, its grand picturesque rose window was done in by a spruce in a sudden and furious storm. And that was the proverbial nail in the coffin. And of course, the damned place was haunted. Earlier that evening, under the whirring fluorescence of a community center, Father William Blackwell excused himself from the local politician, who had taken it upon himself to rescue, at least, the shell of St. Sebastian's Catholic Church. This politician, who had clapped Father Blackwell on the back and inquired about the missing fingers, waxed poetic over his recent victorious push for St. Sebastian's one that Father Blackwell was silently, vehemently against, to be converted into affordable living for the nearby college, rather than be condemned. After all, the politician himself had grown up in this robust Catholic community, in case Father Blackwell didn't know. As the man sermonized, sweating beneath a newly tailored suit, Father Blackwell was distracted by a layer of musky brand name antiperspirant, A fragrance could tell him a great deal about a person, and this politician's aroma was common for his type. Boisterous types who kicked through, scored in their youth, and found it coy to play chummy with the clergy in adulthood. Men's men who were lured by red and blue packaging lined with sharp masculine fonts and colognes that could singe nose hairs. At least the man didn't drown himself in it. Here in the void, with the rat, Father Blackwell ruminated over the thought of the dozens of sophomores, fresh-faced children of the local college, who would soon be scurrying up and down these corridors. The fraternity fodder bathing in amber-colored colognes, such like the musky politicians, their counterparts in glass-bottled perfumes adorned with illegible script. Liberal arts and environmental studies majors would opt for aluminum-free, unscented, ineffectual deodorants that smelled of sap and glue, while radical campus activists would assert their natural bodily smells, most switching to dove and old spice before obtaining their degree. In six months, the doors would reopen anew. Father Blackwell wondered whether the students would appreciate the stained-glass Virgin Mary in cobalt blue and yellow, outside of general irony. He wondered if, in the end, Nellie would allow anyone to see the renovations at all. It was a question only she could answer. The rat's squeals echoed through the nave, reverberated in the aisles and were cut short with the soft crunch of delicate bones. A low growl. Father Blackwell could hear it in his skin. His body shivered like a giddy teenager with a borrowed condom. Like a frat boy on an expectant first date, Father Blackwell inhaled her. With a drunkard's sloppy gleam Leaning dangerously into the blessed blockade of salt Flirting with the thought of taking his chance Here and now Flirting with mortality in the swelling dark She returned his gaze with a belligerent and hungry scowl A line of drool rolling lazily between the gap in her teeth And over her bottom lip was still as full and fat as it had been in life, though death had brought on a pale plum color. No, it was best to wait. He had a plan. Anyone with earnest curiosity of the haunting of Saint Sebastian's could trace it back to Nelly's death. But Father Blackwell was lucky in his accurate assessment that such interests were confined to local ghost hunting fanatics who wrote web articles with black backgrounds and red fonts, pure body odor, Doritos, and Axe spray canisters. It was over a year ago now that Father Blackwell entered Nellie's hospital room to provide last rites. She was only minutes away from becoming the body. It had been an odd and sudden affliction, Marked with rapid fever and what had been characterized as some bizarre form of dementia. Superstitious nurses had crossed her threshold tentatively, spooked by Nellie's babblings of shadows living in the dark. Father Blackwell blessed her above a chorus of quiet weeping and sniffles, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, at a slightly faster pace than was appropriate. As he found the liquid germicides and iodiform fog too visceral, sickening. In his final words, Nellie opened her eyes and watched him, studied him. The EKG flatlined, but for a brief moment, there was an impossible glow, like candlelight, behind her graying eyes. And it was then he remembered that he first noticed the smell. Like a bizarre trick of chemistry, her flesh itself began to change, but not in the proper way. The dying girl whose symptoms no doctor could explain became the dead girl for whom rigor mortis would never set, the anomaly whose eyes would never close, who would never properly smell of death. A grave was found exhumed, and a weekend exorcism commenced. But when he had seen her there on the altar... No, when he had smelled her... Father Blackwell had heard his lips uttering the words of prayer, but they became only words. Thou shalt have no other gods before him. But a part of Father Blackwell was already on its knees and she was far from any false god. She was flesh. She was pure. He could sense it. Even now, as she writhed before him, her body, which should have decayed long ago, bore none of the grotesque odors of rot. No sense that the nerves had long ago curdled under her skin. It was replaced by a smell that he could place now, After months of breathing her in, he could say it smelled vaguely of ash, the nostalgic scent of birthday candles. It was another sign of her purity, not something untouched, but something that would never be. There would never be the sweat, the refuse, or gluey deodorants, never the cum, the booze, or cheap perfume. None only birthday candles. He did not care from whence she came, dear God. He only wanted one touch. The winds picked up to a howl, and again he felt his nerve dwindling. He was the teenager making the first move, overcome with wanting and fumbling helplessly at the bra clasp. The memory of his first failed attempt flashed forward again, bringing the ghost of anguish in his right hand. As if moving through a dream, he saw himself stretch his hand toward her fine, white, blonde hair. He felt the shudder of the spruce through the window, and the stained glass upon his scalp like sleet. The crunch of teeth splitting bones with an explosion of blood and white stars... Father Blackwell shook the image away, but it left a fine residue. Even still, he traced the cover of his Bible with his good hand, and though he could not see the golden lettering, he believed, knew, that it held an awesome sway here in St. Sebastian's Catholic Church. And if he could weaken her, he could thrust his crucifix forth, and indeed he could... Our Father, who art in heaven. The words came fast. They had to. The wind was not just howling, but building to a scream. And he could not be diverted by the fear of what would come crashing through the windows next. She had tried to impale him with the spruce that night. Maybe now, the building itself would come down. Then, the students would never worry about the rats. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He repeated the prayer over and over as her screams ripped through his eardrums and wrung his skull. The sound brought tears to his eyes and he could not be sure if they were for the aching in his head or the suffering in her torrent of shrieks. But slowly, her arms began to fall, the candlelight in her eyes fading. His birthday candles was time. Father Blackwell brought forth the crucifix and held it before him. It inched over the edge of the circle and Nellie, her ravenous spirit, eyed the thing with a crescendo roar. There was a crack, a splintering of wood. Father Blackwell flinched as he whipped his head around, awaiting the crash of the banisters on his shivering frame. But it came from the entrance, which was snapping, 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 until finally giving way. Father Blackwell dropped the crucifix as his breath stalled in his throat, and he found himself staring into the eyes of... of a student. Oh, what the fuck? A local college kid who couldn't have been more than 20, who stood dumbfounded with a rusted crowbar in his nearly frostbitten hands. His girlfriend pressed in behind him, her flashlight bouncing in her shaking grip. Oh, shit. She was clad in boots and a hooded jacket. She was wearing patterned stockings in the snow. A spontaneous romp in the abandoned church. While there was still time, Father Blackwell flailed his arms wildly, fighting the croak in his voice. The crucifix slipped from his fingers, practically flung. Leave. Go. NOW! Stunned, the couple remained frozen in the doorway, the wind biting into their bare hands, her bare legs. Lord Christ, who raises these kids? They would not just be killed, but shredded, dismembered by Nellie, his Nellie, when he was so close... The two thoughts raged through his mind, banging into each other, threatening his sanity. It was just enough of a distraction. He was thinking of the students, of their chilly arms and feet strewn across the floor of the church. No more renovations, just meat and marrow. But he was losing himself, losing the ground he'd covered. The upper hand that he'd gained shriveled away, finger by finger father blackwell had no way of knowing beyond assumption the evil thoughts that lurked in nelly's head which were vivid and tangible with gears working faster and more efficiently than his own the wind was hers like it had been when she'd thrown the spruce through the rose window and the young couple's arrival was pure luck Before Father Blackwell could see that his crucifix and his blessed salt were gone, scattered by the wind, he and Nellie were nose to nose. He had dreamt unsavory dreams of this moment, this proximity. He whimpered pathetically, like a small child. Please, I'm so sorry. I... Nellie wrapped Father Blackwell into a lover's embrace, and he relished the sensation up to the moment where her nails sank into his back, throttling his spine. The object of his voyeur plunged deep, every inch a punishment for all the times he teased her, left her thrashing at his circle, drinking her scent without her permission. But even as his body buckled and shuddered, in his fleeting consciousness, there was a wanting. She closed her teeth over his mouth and jaw, tasting him from the inside out. She was touching him, and she smelled of birthday candles.
0: Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this.
3: Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's... Zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become... The Contamination... Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today.
2: Welcome to the interview after the wicked story. I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story podcast, and with me in the cozy library dungeon today is our author, Stephanie Ogrodnik. Hello again. <laughs> so, uh, now I can actually talk to you without my Skype going blurp. Hey. Run of the chicken cock. So, um, first off, I have no idea how to pronounce your last name. No worries. It's Ogrodnik. Ogrodnik. Um, okay, that's O-Grodnick, a lot less yeah. Kafulu than what I was coming up with. Yeah, it's it's
1: one of those it's a, a Polish name um and it just kind of it's a very very masculine sounding and it looks like it has it looks like it has more sounds than it
2: actually does. It really does. Like if you sound it out phonetically, you can kind of get it, but it looks more complicated. <laughs> it does. <laughs> In virtue of being uh, yeah. Just to maybe amuse you or horribly insult you, every time I tried <laughs> to pronounce it, it was Adarognic, and I'm like, that's that sounds like some sort of horrible thing from the depths of
1: <laughs> Lovecraft. It's, it's closer than I've got from some people. I've, I've had a lot of, of adding and subtracting of vowels um, and consonants in
2: the past. <laughs> it's closer than you think. <laughs> that's good, then. <laughs> uh, so... Oh, Grodnik is the correct way to say it, then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> then I'm in business now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, welcome to the Wicked Library, and uh, thank you. This is your first episode on it, right, Stephanie? Yeah. Very exciting. Congratulations. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. So would you, the story that you had on the Wicked Library is a priest in love, or a priest in love, rather, and would you say that this story is something in a theme that you like to explore a lot with your writing, or something a little different?
1: Um, it's a little bit different. This one's a lot more contained than a lot of what I've tried before. I'll also say, like, it was... One that I wrote um, after like a very long period of not writing, so I think it was kind of like a first step in a, sort of like a graduation of trying larger scenes and larger landscapes. But but that's like one of the few ones that I've tried. That's a more very contained space, just a long long term focus on just like one character.
2: Um, it was fun.
1: Try <laughs> it was fun to try out <laughs> a lot of
2: weird character going on. I mean, it was a lot of fun, because it wasn't... I didn't know what to expect with this story. I didn't know what he was up to. I didn't... <laughs> there were no preconceived notions going into this one. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So where did the story start for you? Um. Uh, well, it was... I, I'm. I'm trying to remember. It was...
1: So basically, I, I live in Los Angeles now, and, and I went to school for screenwriting and playwriting, but I, I went through a very long period, uh, as I mentioned, of just not writing. Um, so I basically started up a class, and it was just kind of an idea that I had kicking around based on kind um, of like an old fable that I had read about just a, a certain character that I had sat in a, in a ring of salt and had... Spoken with a ghoul that was inside of church, and it was a very kind of... I can't even remember what the fable was, but it was, like, years ago that I had read it, and it was just this kind of, like, discussion that this one character had had, and this very kind of, like, kind of... It was very light and had, like, this sort of, like, flipping kind of tone, and... I don't know. I think I just kind of held on to, like, that image for a while, and I I liked the idea of kind of taking that idea of. Placing it with a more like voyeuristic uh, sort of intention. Um, I don't know. I just, I just kind of like that idea of somebody like if you can sit and you can talk to somebody like on this like one-handed scene. I was like, oh, that'd be interesting if somebody like you know could kind of use that that construct of just the, the salt or the salt ring to sort of visit something or sort of observe something for a, a longer period of time. And I liked this idea of somebody sort of growing this obsession with it and then again having a sort of voyeuristic interest in it um and then i had that idea and then i started doing um a writing class at ucla um just to sort of get the juices flowing a little bit um and yeah that was one of the early things that i wrote and ended up being a lot of fun um and it, it was nice it was like the first thing that i'd written um In a class for a while that you know had a lot of great writers, um, you know, sort of give great feedback like along the way. So it was, just, I don't know, just it's a story that had just like a
2: lot of very pleasant
1: background <laughs> <laughs> for me. <laughs>
2: Which is pretty funny, because it ended up pretty perverse. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that is kind of strange. (laughs) It's really kind of happy memories. (laughs) So your happy place is in a circle of salt got it (laughs) (laughs) apparently
1: apparently like salt and and lewd um,
2: (laughs) making out with dead creatures hey you know (laughs) whatever gets the uh, juices flowing oh no I shouldn't have said that um (laughs) 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 mental juices (laughs) whatever Um, so what have you been working on since this story when you finally finished this one
1: um. Since then I've been just kind of kicking around a lot of other short stories. Um, at one point I started working on a novel um, at, at a certain point. Basically the, the, the story of, of writing since then is I, I've been writing a lot more short stories and again that was kind of like the first and sort of kicking things off and getting writing sort of jump started again um, and I've now it's been started working for a, a lit management company and for the last couple of months i haven't been writing as much uh just because unfortunately because um starting up a new job sort of threw off the schedule but i'm finally starting to get back into it again um and now finally starting to finish up uh another short story that i'm hoping to, to tie together fairly soon and and uh make into something make make that the next thing, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> as, long nice. as long as it comes together the way I want it
2: to. <laughs> so, since you seem to have uh, at least been focusing some of your time on screenwriting, do you anticipate wanting to make any of these into short films or anything?
1: I haven't, I don't know, I, it's a good question. Um, just because I've been searching this for a while, because um, I, I did have a focus on screenwriting when I was in school, and and now like a very large bulk of my job involves uh, reading and doing notes on materials and scripts. And I don't know. Like, I I will say that it's fun. Like I do enjoy like the structure. Um, and I enjoy playing with that structure, but. I feel like because it is now part of my job, there's something that's very sort of enjoy. I mean, there's there's a, a certain type of enjoyment in writing um, prose and writing short stories and reading those types of things for pleasure, um, as well as because um, there's a certain scope that you have. Um, whereas, like with screenwriting, um, you have a certain broad scope, but at the same time, it's very contained within the structure in terms of how many words, um, the extended vocabulary. Um or I guess not not too much with extended vocabulary, but it, it's it's very like tight. It's very um, um using a lot with a little you know, again with with keeping uh the, the page number in mind and keeping like the, the time constriction in mind. So that I guess sense. I guess the I guess the very, the very yeah <laughs> the short answer <laughs> is supposed to be Not as much. Like, I I haven't been going into screenwriting as much, but I I, I imagine at some point in time, like, I'll veer back into it. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I I can imagine, I can totally imagine this is just, like, screenwriting has become work, so now your playground (laughs) is prose. Yeah, exactly. There there is a lot of
1: that going on.
2: (laughs) So I'm also curious, when you go into your short stories, do you put a lot of research into it? Do you outline? How do you how do you approach writing a new short story? Um,
1: I think it really depends what the subject matter is. And I think, uh, I, I will say like in the past, I've just kind of written very like organically. Um, and of course, I like, guess there's something that needs, to, that I feel like needs to happen in a story that, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable about. Um, then I'll like kind of go more into researching. I, I will say I don't really outline as much. Maybe not as much as I should. Um, but in the past, like I haven't done as much. Especially with short stories, I, I haven't really done as much with like um, outlines and a lot of preparation. I feel like for me personally, um, like I've I've, I, I've known a lot of people that like work very well that way, and it's it's a very smart way <laughs> to structure out a story ahead of time. But I think. Um, it becomes very easy for me to procrastinate and to hold myself back from starting to do something by like continuously doing notes on something. Mm-hmm. So I, I've discovered that for me personally, like it's been a lot better for me to just sort of jump in um, and let things come together. And uh, the first drafts are usually very long and tedious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and over time they start to narrow down um, into something that's that's more
2: fitting as a story. So, with Priest in Love, did you do any research as you were creating that one? Um, because the actual church felt very real. It felt like you went somewhere.
1: Um, there was. I, I, think, I think it was, was kind of a, a combination of um, churches that I had been in. Like, I, like, my family is not very religious, but um, we did grow up a very loose catholic background so a lot of early memories there were there were a lot of early memories in churches um there was also uh, any part of the um part of it because sorry sorry there was a momentary distraction <laughs> 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 um, being cast somewhere um but i uh, oh yeah so there when i was living in philadelphia there was a church that was not that far from where I lived, um, that was basically just being um, renovated and was becoming a space for apartments. Um, and I thought that, that was very interesting and, and a big part of it came from that too, just kind of being interested in that idea of taking like an old church and just just using it as a, as a space for rent uh, was very strange to me. Um, I guess partially just because of my upbringing my <laughs> but I was like, oh, it's a weird space. And I, And so a big part of the story came from
2: that too. So, one of the things that stuck out to me about A Priest in Love was, was this unique approach to the smell of everything. <laughs> so, I just want to hear some more about your thoughts on, on why you dove so deep into that sense of smell and how that kind of molded his character for you. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really like to
1: use I don't know. I really like the idea of playing with fences um, and playing with, um, you know, the body and, like, different types of stories. I thought with like this one, it felt very fitting, especially being, like, um, you know, that they can't touch. Like, I liked the idea of playing with this idea of repulsion and, like, his attraction to her, you know, and in, in great part being that, like, she, you know, she smells of ash and, like, she doesn't, you know... is not bogged down by the same types of smells like natural smells that human beings have Um, but i also just think that it's it's something that's very fun and sort of personal um to sort of utilize um for a character just like those olfactory senses um yeah I, i i think it was it was just more that like it's something that like i in in writing i always think is kind of enjoyable to play with is just making it Um, as textured as possible or as sensory as possible um, on the page. So I'm glad that came up. I'm glad that (laughs) worked.
2: It definitely brought a different layer to him, because for for me in particular, I'm a very visual person, so if I'm describing a place to someone, it is always what I saw or Mm -hmm. what I felt. So to hear the world described through how it smelled was definitely something new. (laughs) <laughs> um, what, in, I think. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. I was. I, I think I was. I was gonna say. Like, I think part of that was also like coming from like the the time that because when I was in school I spent four years in Philadelphia and I think a part of that was also I, I think with those types of you know life choices it's it's a lot of interaction with different types of people different types of groups and it and there is something about like. That sense of smell—I don't—I don't know how to describe it—but like, it, is, it becomes very personal. It becomes very intimate, and like I, I like the idea of having somebody that was just kind of over time, just sort of drawn back from it. And like the thing about certain parts of Philadelphia too. And I wish i, I felt that thing because it, it's an awesome city, and I and I it was a wonderful place to live. Um, but there are definitely certain streets that you go down. Um and you can just smell the shit on the street, <laughs> just the smell of sewage just like hits you all <laughs> on one. Um, and that was also always something like that really stuck with me of like like certain places, certain territories just have that kind of it's just like a certain sort of memory that sticks with you. And I was just like I don't know, and I, I like using that for somebody that's just very fixated on those types of scents and the smells and
2: Yeah. <laughs> do you do you hyper focus in on those kind of things in a lot of your writing? Because you kind of mentioned you like to focus on senses.
1: Um, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think about it. Um, I suppose so. Like, I I think it, it's just everything it has to be based around the character and what makes sense for that individual person. Like, like for that type of character, like I feel like I I haven't written other. I haven't written, like, other types of things that are as as focused on, like, the sense of smell, but I think it's because, like, other characters, like, it wouldn't make sense for them as much, whereas, like, with him, it was a very, like, it was very specific about, like, his repulsion of other people, his attraction to her, and, like, his also, like, strange sort of, I guess, like, obsessive nature with smell. Um, Like, all that was very specific to him, whereas, like, other characters that I've been trying to play with, have like other types of like sensory sensations, or I guess like in some cases are more visual. Um, I'm trying, like honestly, like I'm, I'm trying to think if like, I, I I think like at the time I don't really think about it as much, like still like until it's like a very past tense type of thing of like, oh yeah, there, there is a lot of that sense in this story. Um, but either I think I like, there's like a lot of like sort of play with types of disgust and types of fears that have to do with silt or have to do with um, claustrophobia or have to do with that sort of different, I guess maybe less of a set or, I guess partly senses but also partly just different types of discomfort and where those places of discomfort stem from
2: So do you find yourself writing a lot of horror or you kind of fluctuate as far as genres go? I
1: think definitely mostly horror. I've um, been <laughs> a big horror nut since I was very young, and was very, like, into scary short stories since I was a kid. So I think a lot of my writing tends to gravitate towards that.
2: What were some stories that really struck you as a child? Um, there it's it's funny. Like there's there's of course like the
1: like the um, the scary stories in the dark, it was all by Stephen Gamble, like I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, but like the the famous books that are just kind of collections of urban scary stories. Um, I, I can't remember if there were like any authors I stood out when I was a kid because I I did a lot of just kind of voracious reading of just sort of grabbing whatever was available. Um, but I, I know like my favorite stories. When I was a kid, were like those those strange urban legend type of tales, like the one, you know, like the girl that had like the spiders, you know, the spider lays eggs in her face. Like, I was like obsessed with those types of things, these weird sort of happenings, and that like big twist that comes at the end. Like, I thought, always thought that story structure was really fun. Um, and I don't know, like, those, like those are the ones that that always stuck with me, but I can't think if there was, like, a particular, like, I wrote, I read a lot of, like, Carl Stein when I was a kid, um, was, got weirdly into Edgar Allan Poe when I was really young, um, I don't know if there's, sorry, I have to take a very kind of, like, winding way to say, like, I don't really know if there's any like, one particular one that stood out. <laughs> I tend to be long-winded.
2: You, you pretty much just listed all of my favorite things as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Aw. Like aww, we read all the same books. That's pretty cool. Childhood <laughs> <laughs> <Talented> traumas
1: <laughs> that we now share.
2: <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another ra- this is kind of a random question. I'm gonna throw it at you anyway. Um, since you are so character focused, how do you pick names for your characters? Because I always struggle with this personally. I'll, I'll be honest. So do I. Um, <laughs> I. I know. I know
1: writers that are like, or like I, you know, like other other friends that I've I've worked with that are like so just phenomenal about like how they choose names. I I'll in admit I still think I suck at it. Like I, I haven't really like had a good method aside from like thinking of people that like I grew up with that felt like they had names that fit certain people. Um, which is a really lame way to find somebody. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer for that. I, I'm still trying to to figure out the the best way, um, for to find character
2: names as well. That's perfectly valid, and it makes me feel a lot
1: better. <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> Thank you for accepting my my non <laughs> my non answer non solution. Yeah, I think like like the last one that I've I've done, it was literally been like like writing out the character and just kind of adding like a filler name and just kind of going back and like tweaking it like every couple of drafts. Being like, I don't know if that sounds good anymore. I don't think she, I don't think her name's Kathleen. It's going to be Christian now, <laughs> and, and not really having a set rhyme or reason.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I go through lists of, like, baby names whenever I create a new character. I'm like, that, uh, her name should totally be Adarachnik. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, too, have gone through those lists. A believable name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was there anything about Priest in Love that you found challenging while writing this story?
1: Um... I think it was, I, I had a lot of concern that it was going to be slow. Like I said, like I, I wasn't used to like writing that, that contained type of space. And like the, the whole story is pretty much just him sitting in one spot. Um, so I was kind of worried about it dragging in certain places. And again, like, like the early drafts tend to be very sort of long and gratuitous. Um, so there was a lot of like retinkering with that and just, you know playing with different pieces and making sure that it was engaging mm-hmm. um but I, I think like and i think like for me like across the board that's definitely a thing it is is definitely like i i always was, i think especially like once you go through several drafts and you've been reading the same words or the same sentences like over and over and over again after a while it starts to kind of all sort of together and there's that that concern of like oh like is this not is this not going the way that I want it to, or do I just need to, like, not look at this for a couple days now
2: um, and come back to it? So is there anything in the initial draft that you edited out that you kind of miss?
1: I don't think there's anything that I kind of miss. Uh, there's, like, a lot of... I know that there was a lot of hacking and slashing, but I don't think there is anything that I really, like... Like, heavily took out. I think there was like more, a little bit more background on him. I think there was a little bit more, not necessarily flashbacks, but there was more of him um, working with different groups of people and going further, like, into the sense of smell that different types of people have, um, depending on their background and depending on where they are and who they are and, like, his. and, And I think for. Other early drafts had a lot more in-depth description of that, um, but I think in the long run, um, you know, it, it wasn't a major necessity to the story um, necessarily. I could be very wrong, <laughs> but I don't know if there's anything, yeah, uh, from the early drafts that I'm like, damn, like, <laughs> like I wish that I kept this. There wasn't like a whole lot of a lot of that for this one in particular.
2: Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of editing is just like, oh this is random, I don't need this. This was uh, making crumpling noises and throwing it away. <laughs> I- exactly. <laughs> I'm burning up
1: things.
2: <laughs> <my job. laughs> Have you ever done that? No Have you ever just like burned an old draft of something and tossed out the window? I have,
1: actually. (laughs) I have burned. burned, I've legitimately burned an early draft. of something that I've written because I very, very much dislike (laughs) it.
2: That's amazing. What was it? I'm curious. What was it? What was the story that was so bad it actually needed to be burned?
1: (laughs) It was something that I wrote for for, uh, a different UCLA class, and it was just... The most painful experience because we, we had to read them all out loud and it was just getting that point midway through the story of, of being like oh no this is very boring like this is not <laughs> hitting any of the points that I, I was hoping that it would and it was written Very quickly and I was just like uh like it was like such a grueling experience to like have to sit there and just read out a story to a group of people that you know is not good (laughs) and you're like I'm sorry like like half apologizing as you're reading it to everybody (laughs) uh, and that that is the story that I
2: burned (laughs) that must have felt good though (laughs) it's like no I'm done I want
1: to say it was very, it was very cathartic. I'll probably do it again.
2: (laughs) That also the
1: the other added benefit is then you have a nice fire going, and you can write and read other things as your your stories go up in flames.
2: I love it. So now that you're getting back into the swing of things, how are you finding time to write again? Um, just
1: trying to be a lot more disciplined and you know making sure you get at least like 25 minutes at least like an hour um some days like some days are still better than others you know it's hard especially because I'm, I'm about five months into this position now um and it's just a lot um like the workload is a bit heavier and the hours are a bit longer um but kind of just being i, I think it's just kind of like prioritizing and, and making, like, the solid decision to say, like, I need to prioritize this um, because it's something that I feel like I need to do, um, as opposed to continuously saying, like, oh, well, you know, this can wait, you know, I'll do it tomorrow, and just sort of making that decision for myself.
2: It's hard. It's definitely a challenge to make that time when life just starts throwing all sorts of stuff at you, good and bad. It's just blah. Yeah. No, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, like, I I think for me, too, it's, like, with
1: work, I think, like, it got to a point where it was just kind of, um, that sense of, like, oh, I will, I will do this when I'm done, like, when I don't have to worry about other things, but now being in a position where it's, like, work technically doesn't have to be done at any point, like, there's always reading to do, there's always things to go through, there's always, you know, certain projects that we can hone in on more, so I think it was a lot of, like, Changing that mentality of saying like, you know what like there's going to be a lot of things But I'm just going to start with this to make sure that it's out of the way and then I can move forward with these other things Because this other part of my life is not going to end conveniently (laughs) Um, Like that part of my day is not going to stop conveniently so this has to to be something that I make uh, for myself Like it's it's a piece of time that you have that for me. I had to carve out
2: well, I, for one, and I'm sure the people who have just heard your story are also grateful that you've made some time to focus on your writing and share it with everybody. So thank you, thank you for sharing your your work and your time with us and your perverted uh, sense of smell. You. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, where else can people find more of your work, Stephanie? Um. Honestly, this is like the first... <laughs> nice. So yeah,
1: like, like as of right now, like this is the only thing that I think I that uh, exists out in the world, and I'm working on finishing my next thing now, and hopefully nice. that will also make it into the world, and and yeah, so I hope that people really like this. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> or, and, and yeah, in the meantime, other other things to come. So everyone, welcome to the world premiere of Stephanie. Grodnik. And stay tuned for more from her. We'll make sure to try and tweet out and share whenever stuff comes out from you, Stephanie. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining Stephanie and I today in the Cozy Library Dungeon. And if you'd like to hear more interviews with authors and storytellers from the land of speculative fiction like you did today, you can find them over on podcast.ninthstory.com. That's me in my other place. And uh, remember to visit thewickedlibrary.com for all the show notes and links that you'll need to continue the conversation we started here today. Have a delightfully dark night, my friends as I stumble over my tongue. Okay, I think I'm done. Bye!
3: (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com if you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wickedlibrary. You can be a part of helping keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards, like bookmarks, access to our archives, and at higher levels, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey Podcast. You can find them over at Legends, Myths, and and of course in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips, they make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make this show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for Nelly to give you a hug.